Welcome to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. My name is Jenna, and in this series, I'll be speaking to plastic surgery residents and giving you an inside look at what it's like to train at their institution. We'll discuss the logistics, the leadership, and the lifestyle of a plastics resident at their program. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Casey Benedict and Dr. Katie Brown, who are residents at the University of Mississippi in Jackson, Mississippi. Casey is a fourth-year resident. She's originally from Moorhead, Minnesota. She completed college at the University of Minnesota and medical school at the University of North Dakota. Her academic interests include reconstructive surgery, microsurgery, and gender-affirming surgery. Katie is a second-year resident. She's originally from Jackson, Mississippi. She completed college and medical school at the University of Mississippi, and her current academic interests are hand and peripheral nerve surgery. Casey, Katie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So I'd love to get started by hearing a broad overview of your program at the University of Mississippi. So we primarily operate at our main hospital, which is on the University of Mississippi campus. We do mostly reconstructive surgery there. We do a lot of trauma. We do a lot of hand surgery. We have a really good craniofacial team as well with two craniofacial surgeons. And then we also have some off-campus rotations where we go and do all of our aesthetic practices. So we have two different aesthetic groups that we rotate with. We go there starting in our third year, and we spend a couple months every year. And our chief year, we spend four months out on, we call it town, which is our aesthetic rotation. Can you break down for me how much plastics experience you get in the first three years? So last year, I got seven months on plastic surgery as an intern, which was really great. There were five months off, which were all in general surgery, rotations, which is SICU, night float, trauma, ped surgery, and acute care surgery. This year, again, we'll get seven months on plastic surgery, only three months on general surgery, doing transplant, vascular, and breast. And then I do derm, which will be a nice vacation, and I'm currently doing neurosurgery. And then third year, I think we have three months off service doing ortho, OMFS, and ENT. And then nine months on plastic surgery. And that's when we first go on our town rotations too. And what's the experience like when you're on some of those non-plastic services? I had a really great experience as an intern last year. They really take you in and treat you like one of their residents. And historically, I don't know if it's just being in plastic surgery, but they like having us better than their own interns because we work a little bit harder. So we get treated really well. I really enjoyed my time on general surgery. Of course, I enjoyed my time on plastic surgery more, but it's fun getting to know all the other people in the hospital since we work with them so, so often. And so you mentioned you have your main University of Mississippi hospital site and then the two like more like town practices. Where do you get most of the pediatric experience? That's all at our main hospital. The UMC campus has like the adult hospital. We have a day surgery, ambulatory type of a place. And then also connected is the children's hospital, which is brand new. It opened like last year. So it's really beautiful. So we do all of our peds cases over there. They just built a brand new one. So like the old ORs are closed and the new ORs are amazing. They're huge. We have a window in our OR looking outside. Do you get any experience that's more of like a VA or like county hospital type experience? Not anymore. We used to go over to the VA and we had one surgeon that we worked with over there. She did mostly hand stuff. We don't go over to the VA at all anymore, though. Do you work with any independent residents or any fellows? We have one fellow. We have a hand surgery. And our last independent resident graduated this last year. So now we're a completely integrated program. 
How much do you work with the hand fellow and how does that affect your training experience? This last year, I was like in the hand surgery ORs and with our hand surgeon a ton. And it would either be like me and the attending and he would try to get two rooms if we were an adult or children's. And so it'd be me and the attending in one room and the fellow like running the other room or me and the fellow in a room and Dr. Walker getting the other rooms ready. So he definitely like did not hinder our education at all. He would always let me try to figure my way through these cases first and then be like, okay, you should do it this way. So it was great. And he, he actually took hand call for us about four times a month. So that was always helpful to take the burden off us as well. And can you tell me what call is like throughout the different PGY levels? Yeah, so it's actually pretty similar throughout our residency here. We don't do much of a like graded call system, but we take hand call, which we split with ortho. So we're on like basically every other week with that. We take face call, which we split with OMFS and ENT. And then we have this one week every, I guess, six weeks that we're just on plastics week. We're never on hand and face at the same time. They start taking call as PGY1s. They do have a backup person, so we'll go in with them and see all the consults for the first couple months that they're doing call by themselves at night. And then after that, they're just by themselves, always have a backup person they can call if they need us, but then they're just staffing with the attending and taking the call themselves. So we're usually on like one weekend a month and typically about one weekday per week. And we do home call. It's usually not too terrible unless you get very unlucky. <laughs> Which is pretty rare, but there, there are those nights or weekends. And the weekends, the junior level takes Friday, Sunday, and the senior level resident is Saturday. So the weekends are typically a little bit better for the more senior resident because it's less time total on call. What is the mid-level support like? We have three nurse practitioners. They do a ton of work in our clinics. So each our pediatric attendings and our like big reconstructive attendings and then our program director, Dr. McIntyre, they each have one. So they do a ton as far as clinic support. They will take call for us. Each one will take about two calls per month. So that's about six days during the daytime that they're taking call for call ER consults. And that, that helps us out as well. We typically do most of, you know, the floor type work. They are mo mostly like clinic and then taking call. So. And are they in the OR at all? No. So we only have nurse practitioners. I'm not sure how the laws are in, in Chicago. In Mississippi, only PAs can be in the OR, and we only have nurse practitioners. So they don't come in the ORs with us. They'll put on a bunny suit every once in a while to take a picture of a coverage consult that we get from ortho. But that's their main amount of time they spend in the OR. Are there any opportunities for elective rotations in the later years, either ones that you choose within your institution or that you could like go to another site for? There's not really anything that's formally set up, but our attendings are willing to be flexible and give you time away. So I know one of our current fifth years is trying to do like an aesthetic rotation somewhere else. And I'm going to try to do a transgender month somewhere else just because we don't have as much exposure to, especially transgender, we get a lot of aesthetic rotations, but trying to find good places to match for a fellowship. So they're pretty flexible with that. We don't have any like set elective things at this point, but they are willing to be flexible and give us time to figure out what we're trying to do with our careers. 
Are there any opportunities for either times you could go on a short mission trip or do a longer global rotation? One of our semi-new staff, Dr. Walker, he came on two Octobers ago. He was really active in helping hands, which um, is, goes international and does congenital hand surgery. And he was planning to take a group last year, but then COVID derailed that. But I think that is something that he foresees being a part of our program in the future. But right now, that's not a huge thing. So no attendings are doing like a regular annual trip anywhere, but it sounds like he might be interested in making that a more regular thing. Yes. Last year would have been his first like full year on staff. He's fresh out of, you know, fellowship and residency. And he was hoping to make it a yearly thing, but COVID, I don't know what he wants that to really look like. And I know it's something he talks about pretty frequently. Yeah. He said he wants to bring the fellow every year and then also one of the upper level residents with him every year. So I'm assuming he's going to start back up this year. Have any other residents arranged their own opportunities or used vacation time? One that graduated last year was planning to. He had it all scheduled and then COVID kicked him out. So I don't know if anybody has before that, but it's something that they're okay with us doing. And so I know you mentioned the town aesthetic practices a little bit. Can you go through which years you get to spend like months with them and what that experience is like? So we start our PGY3 year. So last year I got to do two months on, it's called Face and Body. That's one of the in-town places. And then we have another place that we go to called Premier Plastic Surgery. So this year as a PGY4, I'll do two months at Face and Body and one month at Premier. And then typically PGY5, you do two months at the place you haven't been. So two months at Premier. And then as a six, you do two months at each place. And then when you've been there, what has the experience been in terms of how autonomous you get to be? I wouldn't say autonomous, but they let you operate with them. So if you're doing like a breast reduction, you do your side and they do their side. And if you're doing a breast aug, like same thing, you do your side, they do their side. So some of the staff are a little bit more hands-on, but most of them, they let you operate pretty independently considering that they're, these are cash-paying aesthetic patients for the most part. It's a really good experience. And then is there any kind of like a senior resident clinic experience? Before I became a resident, before COVID, I think they had just started a kind of like resident cosmetic clinic. COVID derailed that. However, a lot of our attendings are willing to staff cosmetic patients. So our chief resident now has been staffing his own like private cosmetic patients since he was like a PGY4. And he'll just like find these patients and staff them with one of our attendings and our attendings will like donate their OR day and OR time and staff the case, but it's like totally directed by the resident. So the majority of them are like very flexible with allowing residents to bring in patients and do their work up and pre-op and then like assisting with planning along the way. So our chief resident now has done three, you know, private BBLs and has done a couple mastopexy augs, mommy makeovers, and it's just like whatever the resident wants to do right now. I know they have aspirations to get something more formal started again, but right now it's whenever we can find time. And even as like last year as an intern, I could bring patients into clinic for injectables, and they would help me or watch me do the injectables. I don't know if they would let me book a, a cosmetic patient right now, but <laughs> I'm sure they would give me a lot of direction. They're pretty flexible and willing to work with us. Casey, you mentioned that you're particularly interested in gender affirmation surgery. So I, I guess what has the experience been like so far at your site? 
So we only do top surgery right now. And that's only because we don't have a urologist at the moment that's willing to do the bottom surgery with us. So we have one attending really that's doing right now. That's Dr. Walker, whose name we've said a lot in this already, but he's doing quite a few top surgeries. He probably does one a week. And we have a team clinic, which is a multidisciplinary clinic. It's run through endocrine and psych. And so they meet one Friday per month and they have a dedicated clinic just to LGBTQ patients. And so they have a referral base basically to Dr. Walker for anybody that's interested in having surgery. And is it including any like facial surgery or is it mostly breast right now? We haven't done any face surgery yet, but I'm hopeful that's something we can add in once we get a little bit bigger. And how would you say your program manages resident autonomy overall? I think it's pretty great. Even as a first year, I was doing a lot of cases by myself. They were like small cases, of course, but it's really very attending dependent, which I think is pretty normal at any institution. But usually if you feel comfortable doing a case, they'll let you do it. And there's definitely some of our attendings that will just leave you alone in the room, even if you maybe don't feel all the way comfortable doing the case. We always know we can call them for help, of course. It's definitely attending dependent. I got left in an OR as like a second month on plastic surgery doing like a 22-pound paniculectomy with a medical student who's five feet tall. And thankfully, Casey came and helped me. We just need people to help retract this large panis. But I feel like the independence and autonomy they give you if they know you feel comfortable or at least there's a speckle of comfort there, it's pretty great. Well, it sounds like sometimes you just got to be tossed into the deep end and then you'll swim. Yeah, trial by fire, for sure. To illustrate like how autonomy can change over the years, could you walk through what each PGY level gets to do during a deep? Up until like this year, we have very few residents. So we were typically just at one resident in a case with the attending. So the attending would start like finding the perforators and the resident would help them until they got basically it all dissected. And then that resident would go up and find the chest vessels. So we don't have enough residents typically that we're double scrubbing cases. Although that's starting to get a little bit better this year. We have a couple more, but we don't have one, like the intern just coming in and closing or anything like that. So does that mean like even as like a two or a three, you might start working on the chest vessels? Yeah, as a three, I definitely did. I don't think I ever got to do it as a two, but I did it by myself last year as a three. And we start doing micro with just the attending as a two, probably. There was one week, we, it was crazy busy, and so I did a fibula with Dr. McIntyre for head and neck recon, just the two of us as an intern. And he'll let, like, usually the resident does half of the artery, and he'll do the other half of the artery, and then your guys are doing the vein together. So we get really early micro experience just because we have a lot of micro cases. How many residents per year? We have two now. So Katie and her co-resident Laura were the first year having two. Before that, we always had one. We have nine now. So can you tell me a bit about the research experience, both in terms of like expectations and the opportunities available? They want us working on a project kind of at all times. They want us to submit at least an abstract to a conference every year, work that towards a manuscript. We don't have to get something accepted every year. If you get something accepted, typically they've been pretty good about funding. Obviously, the university put funding on hold for any type of travel since COVID, but they're slowly bringing that back. I don't think there's really a limit of the amount of funding you can get. Whatever 
conference you get accepted to, you can go. I think a couple years ago, one resident like went to six conferences. And so they were like, okay, we've used all the other residents funding on you. We have pause. He like went to Hawaii and all these amazing places, but typically everything gets, you know, funded travel registration fee if you get something accepted, but we don't have any dedicated like research blocks or ancillary research staff. So it is what you make it for yourself. And, you know, is that just for podium presentations or also for poster presentations? For anything. So if you get a poster, you still get funding to go. Like you mentioned, you, there's not really ancillary research staff. So does that mean you do your own kind of like stats or work with med students for that kind of stuff? work with medical students and then we have some like contacts that will help us with stats but we don't have a specific like person for our surgery department running the stats for us and are there any particularly awesome perks about your program you'd like to share yeah we get loops our pgy one year so that's right away in the beginning of our training we get some good food funding we get these they're like these little green cards that are worth six dollars at the cafeteria so we have pretty much unlimited access to those, which is nice. We get two white coats per year and one sport jacket, I guess. It's like a workout jacket, basically, every year. And then our book fund, we only get 250 during our PGY one year. But if you score well in the in-service, you can get some extra funds through that every year on the, in your book fund. And a lot of, like, Stryker, we do a lot with Stryker facial trauma. And I think they have a book fund that they will buy us textbooks pretty much once a year whatever book you want yeah they'll get you two books a year and they also host a lot of our journal clubs we so we do get like every month we go out to these awesome restaurants and eat food and drink and do journal clubs with corporate people so that's a, a good perk our program coordinator said we'll have monogrammed figs by the end of the academic year and then how about any like microsurgery labs or cadaver labs anything like that we have a micro lab and we have access to live rats that we can do the micro on. One of our attendings, he loves like research and loves micro and he has an IRB to do this rat study. So we get to you do it on live vessels. Funny though, I've done more micro on humans than I have in the lab. But whenever Dr. Medina, the staff is free, he's like, oh, I have a rat if you would like to go practice. And he has other vessel simulators for people who aren't comfortable using the rats as well. We do cadaver labs probably twice a year, and those are also industry-sponsored. So typically Stryker will do it. We can have like a head and neck plating one, and then we do hand as well. So that's usually in the fall and in the spring, and all of the residents and staff are supposed to block their schedules, and we all get to go and spend a day just working on different flaps and plating. With the rats, can you request to work on a rat even if it's not like necessarily with Dr. Medina or is it mostly when he's working with them? I never have asked to work with one by myself, but I know one of the chiefs who graduated like last year, he used to go just like get rats when he wanted. I don't know if that was pre-COVID when rats were easier to get, but I think since COVID it's been difficult to like kind of get our hands on. And what area of plastic surgery would you say you come out with the strongest experience in? I think probably trauma reconstruction, honestly, because we get so many consults from the ortho team and we do a lot of limb recon. We do like a lot of limb micro too. So I think maybe that, but 
That's really, that's a tough question. I'm not sure. Where I am right now, I've got my most experience, I think, in hand. But KCR has basically all her minimums to graduate already. So we're the only level one academic medical center and the only children's hospital in the state. We pull from all areas for trauma and pull from other bordering states as well. So the trauma is pretty crazy here. And how would you improve your program? I think up until this year, I would have said just getting more residents because we were a little bit tight last year in terms of we have seven attendings and we had seven residents last year. So that was a bit of a struggle at times because not everybody was on service when we were every month, obviously. But this year, it's been pretty great, honestly, in terms of covering cases. Yeah, that would have been my biggest thing, too. But I've been all off service for the one month of the year this year. But from what everyone said, it's been a lot more pleasant having more than four people on the hospital service at one time. I don't know. I think it would be nice. And I anticipate in the future, we'll split into services, have like a ped service and an adult service now that we're getting our full cohort and since the independent tract has been phased out. I think that could potentially be beneficial just as far as like time management and rounding purposes, but I don't know. I've had a great experience in my year and one month so far. To transition a bit to this next part, I would love to hear about your program leadership. So your chief and your PD. All right. Our chief is Dr. Peter Arnold, and he's been here, I think, about 10 years. He's been chief basically since I, right before I started. So this is his four and change year of being chief. I mean, he does mostly like giant reconstructive problems, like big chest wounds, big ab wall problems. He has a lot of like APR reconstruction, that sort of thing. And then our program director is Dr. Benjamin McIntyre. And he and Dr. Arnold actually trained together at UVA. And he does all of our breast micro he does most of our breast reconstruction in general. He, I think he's also been the program director for about that same amount of time, about four years. And they're both really great. They have good open door policy. They're like open to any changes that we want to make as residents, particularly as I guess our chief resident probably talks to them the most about program changes, but they're very approachable and nice. Can you tell me about a time when you or another resident brought up like an issue or a concern and what they did and how they responded to it? So we used to be a mentorship model. And then my second year, so two years ago, they switched to being a team-based model. And we used to have the blue team and the red team. And it was just really not working. And this was all happening during COVID. So all of our elective surgeries and stuff were canceled. And so Pam, who was our chief at the time, decided that we were just going to all be one big team we were going to have like a day pager so that the person that was on call, we didn't ever have to worry about changing the call schedule. And Dr. McIntyre was just totally open to it. He's like, whatever you think is going to work best in terms of you guys rounding and you guys taking call is fine with me as long as everything gets covered. So we've been the purple team now, which has just become the plastics team since then. What kind of a role do residents play in things like uh, picking new residents or something like choosing faculty? Our most recently graduated chief, Pam, and our current chief, they interviewed residents last year, and they participated in ranking, and they got the same weighted vote as the staff. But those were the only two that interviewed or played a part in 
choosing new residents. As far as new faculty, I don't know if we really have much of a hand in in that. We we get to meet them. Like we get to have lunch with them and I think we usually have dinner with them if they're here that long. But I don't think we really get a besides a verbal like, oh yeah, they seem cool, like they're nice. I don't think we get to have a vote in whether or not we have new staff get hired. How would you say your program promotes diversity and inclusion and or helps you develop into a culturally competent resident? In general, our patient population is extremely diverse. We have people from all walks of life, and I feel like people would not expect that from Mississippi, but we see all shapes, sizes, ages, religions, gender affiliations, and I think just being exposed to that wide range of patients and residents and staff and so many staff with different backgrounds and different histories and so many residents with different backgrounds that just being immersed in that environment in the hospital, it just is that way, if that makes sense. And now can you describe for me a bit more about the resident culture and camaraderie and the relationships amongst the residents? We're all friends. A lot of times it'll be like the end of the day and we're all like ready to leave, but then we'll just find ourselves like sitting and chatting at the hospital and I'm like, can we, can we just leave now? Like, why are we still here? And it's, I think we just enjoy being around each other and spending time together and we, we have fun like hanging out at the hospital at work, but outside the hospital too. And our chief had us all over for July 4th and we were supposed to leave at like 7.30 PM and like his wife wanted everyone to leave by then. We left at like 11 at night. We all have a lot of fun together. I could call any anybody and ask anybody for help, and it wouldn't be an issue at all. What would be some qualities of a resident who would fit well in your program? Someone who's easygoing. That was the exact word I was going to use. <laughs> easygoing and hardworking, I think, are the two things that we need and that all of our residents have. Does your program have any experience with like IMGs or otherwise like non-traditional residents? So we did just have a resident transfer in. His program lost accreditation. And so we interviewed a couple of their residents and had, we have a new resident transfer in. He's a five and I've been off service, but everyone has said it's been great. And I imagine it's really difficult for him coming into a new program, a new town, he had to leave his wife in, in his where he came from. And so I think the transition's been, you know, pretty seamless as far as from our side. He's fit right in. He's He seems really easygoing and hardworking, and it's just been an overall good experience. And I hope he feels the same way. Now I'd love to hear a little bit more about resident lifestyle. So do most residents own or rent? I think we all own, except for two people, but we mostly own houses. Yeah. One of the interns rents, but he wants to buy. He just didn't know like what areas he wanted. And one of the, the fifth year resident rents, but the houses here are incredibly affordable. So it's pretty easy to, even as a first year to buy a house with using one of those physician loans and get a really nice place to live early. And where do residents live generally, like in relation to the hospital? Most of us live within like 15 minutes of the hospital. Jackson is spread out, but it's not big. So I live in an area called Bellhaven. It's a historic area. It's three minutes from the hospital. Casey lives 
on the kind of border of Jackson and one of the, you know, other like tri-county area towns. And she's still only like 15 minute drive from the hospital. So most people are in Jackson proper, but within different little subdivisions or different little areas. And what's the breakdown of residents being single, married, and having kids? So five married, one engaged, and then the other three are all dating someone. And we only have two with kids, though. How do you feel like your program supports residents that either have kids or are potentially starting a family? So things like paternity and maternity or childcare assistance or understanding of childcare emergencies. We had two male residents whose wives had babies last year. They both got two weeks for paternity leave. One of our attendings, his wife just had her first baby. He got two weeks off for paternity leave. In the past, when female residents have had children, they get six weeks off. You know, there's nursing rooms by the ORs. It's dedicated to the, the ortho program director. It was a gift from one of the female ortho residents who had a child, so she made a a breastfeeding room right by the OR. So there's a lot of support, really, from what I've noticed. Since I've been here, there hasn't been a female who's had a child, but I know there was one when Casey was um, an intern. So, And I think the child care emergency part is more just residents helping each other out. Like, we've had a couple of times where one of our male residents who has a kid, his wife, like, was on call a weekend, so we had to switch calls and some stuff like that, which is stuff that were easy to do and we're all happy to do to help each other out. And is it necessary to have a car? Yeah, definitely. And what do you like about living in Jackson? It is very easy to live here. There's really good restaurants and eating here. It's inexpensive. The cost of living is very low here. Everyone's very nice. I'm from here. I grew up here. I chose to stay here. So it's just very easy, very easy life here. I totally agree. So I'm from the North, so this was all new to me. And I think that that really can't be overstressed is how nice it is to live here because it's awesome to live in like all these fancy places. And that's where I wanted to live in like med school. But being able to just drive to work without traffic and to come home to your house after working surgery hours is something that I think is really important that you don't really think about so much as a med student. And I agree that the restaurants are just unbelievable here. The food is so good anywhere you go. Any, like, particular delicacies that anyone coming to visit needs to try? Fried chicken. Because I thought that I hated fried chicken until I came here and then realized that I just had only had crappy fried chicken my whole life. We have fried chicken Wednesdays in the hospital cafeteria, if that tells you anything. That's pretty much everything I wanted to cover today. Any final thoughts either on your program or on the process of choosing a residency? I think at the baseline, pretty much all programs, you're going to get equal training. You're going to come out. Everyone has minimums that they have to meet. It's, I think, important to just look at the people you're going to be with because you're with these people more than you are with your own families. So they become your family. And I think it's really important to look at the residents you're going to be working with when choosing a residency. and. We get incredible early operative experience here, and I think that is something that not necessarily super common. I think getting seven months as an intern on plastic surgery 
is incredible and not very common either. And the fact that I was left alone in ORs as an intern and that I feel comfortable doing small things, but still things on my own. There's a lot to be said for that. So I know if you come to our program, you're going to graduate extremely competent in general reconstructive plastic surgery. And I think that's one of the big selling points for our program. We're like a very big workhorse program. And it's been a great one year, five to go. Any like single best piece of advice you have for someone either on a sub-internship or during interviews? I think just be very engaged and interested because on a sub-I, everyone assumes that you're there because you're interested in the program, but on interviews that maybe not isn't as easy to put across. So looking into the program before you get there and making sure that you're first on maybe not who all of the attendings are, but like who the program director is and who their chair is and trying to connect with the residents and get a feel for what their experience has been working with the staff, I think is really important. And how can interested students find out more about your program? We have an Instagram page and we also have a website. So we try to update our Instagram with all the fun things that we're doing on a weekly basis. And they can always send a message through our Instagram too. We're happy to respond with any questions or any more information that they would want. Our handle is at UMMC Plastic Surgery Residency. Well, I think that pretty much covers everything. So Katie, Casey, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to the Doctority Plastic Surgery Podcast. Never miss an episode by subscribing to our show via your favorite podcast service and following us on Instagram and Twitter. For more podcast episodes and residency information, check out our website, doctority.co. That's doctority.co. We love feedback from listeners, so please contact us through the website or through social media with your questions or suggestions. See you next time.